So this week, uh, for all of us Aggie fans and Aggies, we're all licking our wounds, but I love their intro for the thing. But it's so much easier, it would be so much easier to live life and to jump out of bed in the morning if you had that kind of an introduction every single day. We didn't play it, did we? Never mind. Y'all have messed everything up. Listen, y'all, we had a great video. It had the Aggie band playing in it. It had the, the guys swaying, and, and it was so exciting. And, and then, then y'all ruined it by giving me a present. No, I'm just kidding. But the thing is, your life doesn't exist with cheerleaders most often time. Now, as a husband and wife, you should be the cheerleader for your spouse. As a mother and father, you should be the cheerleader for your children, meaning you are not in competition with your children. Your dreams coming true are not independent of your children's dreams coming true. Everybody's dreams can come true. There's not one pie and only a few pieces of it. There's a pie for every single person. If a piece of pie, if a pie starts to run out, God will just bake another pie and give that one to you. He doesn't grow slack in well-doing. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. And he's not sleight of hand. He is the God that supplies your needs according to his riches and glory. But all of us don't necessarily have 107,000 people chanting our name on Monday morning to get us to go to work and to go to work with a smile on our face. On the contrary, the Bible talks about encouraging yourself. The Bible talks about building yourself up on your most holy faith, which means you have to, by faith, take a step, and then guess what? You've got to be willing to fight to keep the ground that you have uh, uh, attained or that you have come to. So throughout life, we come up with different times and opportunities to fight. And the, the first opportunity, uh, the first thing about fighting is this. The Bible says this. Uh, in First Timothy, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Well, how many of you know if there's a good fight, then there's probably a bad fight too. Let me give some examples of good fights, bad fights. Good fight. Uh, you and your wife are not doing as well as you would like to be doing in a relationship. But instead of throwing in the towel, instead of being loose with your lips, loose lips sink ships. Instead of being loose with your lips and loose with your ideas, you literally are working on your relationship with your wife, with your husband all the time. That would be a good fight of faith. A bad fight of faith. Has anybody ever heard of the Westboro Baptist Church? Raise your hands. Wave at me. We love Baptists. We love Methodists. We love everybody. But these guys have lost their minds. They are standing on street corners and screaming things like God hates such and such people. God hates this kind of people. Screaming at them. Then they're going to, 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 to soldiers' funerals and they're standing at the soldiers, at the, at the road next to the funeral and they're screaming obscenities and all kind of nonsense at these funerals and they're constantly, forever and always, talking negative and just building people down. That is not the good fight of faith. That is a lie from the pit of hell and it is a bad fight of faith. Another bad fight of faith would be to try to find something with somebody that you don't agree with all the time. The Bible says this way. It says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. That does not mean that we compromise the gospel. It does not mean that we sugarcoat the gospel. What it does mean is we spend our time, time, our time trying to do what the apostles did and trying to find common ground and getting to know somebody so we have the chance to present the good news of the gospel to them instead of just running them out of our life. The good fight of faith. 
We've got to understand that in this life, you are not just called to tiptoe through the tulips. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, then from that standpoint, you are now called into battle. And here's the deal. We're all much better with you in the fight with us than we are without you. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 11. Ephesians 6 and verse number 11. Say amen when you're there. That's old school, y'all. That comes from my grandpa's church. Say amen when you have it. The Bible says this in verse number 10. You don't have to go there. We'll start in 11. I'm going to read 10 anyway. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Number one, the whole armor of God. Christianity is not a part-time job. Christianity is not a social club that meets twice a week. Christianity is not an idea that you get in and get out whenever you want. Christianity is an opportunity for you to put on the whole armor of God or just take it off and leave us alone. Put on the whole armor of God. Put the whole thing on. Get serious about living for God. Your children are on the line. Your nieces and nephews are on the line. Your, your, your cousins and your neighbors and everybody else is on the line. I, I'll never forget one time I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon and I'll butcher it when I try to say it, but it said something like this. It says, if somebody goes to hell, let them have to leap over our praying bodies to get there. Eternity is on the line for people and people are playing tiddlywinks. Somebody say, not me. Put on the whole armor of God. Get in the fight. Join us. Number 12, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, Here's the deal. It doesn't say we don't wrestle. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It doesn't say we don't wrestle. So if you got involved in Christianity and decided I said yes to Jesus, now everything's wonderful and I don't have anything to do about it, allow me to uh, just begin the book of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs with you where it discussed how some people were torn in half, some people were crucified upside down, some people were boiled in oil more than once. All of them were ostracized if they weren't killed. But the reality is Christianity is riddled with fighting. The difference is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't walk around looking for the person to beat up. Jesus only got mad and lost his temper one time and even remotely got physical in three and a half years. So gentlemen, guess what? Every three and a half years, you can tie up a rope and hit somebody with it. Just kidding. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The word blood there actually means kindred in one translation, which means quit fighting with your family. If you can't find something to talk about, just please stop talking. If they're always ugly to you on the phone, just text them something nice. It'll drive them crazy. But quit wrestling with what Jesus said in his book through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. With what God said not to wrestle with. Quit wrestling with flesh and blood. The Bible says we do, however, wrestle with principalities. Principality is is an interesting word. It comes from the word principle. It comes from the founding ideology, the beginning of an idea, which means the principles of your life are constantly being attacked or ridiculed or turned upside down. And by faith, you've got to develop a lifestyle of wrestling against those things getting moved. The Bible says this. It says, I'm not moved 
by what I see, which means I just got out of a season where everything was incredible. Now I'm in a season where things are difficult. My principles, however, cannot change in the difficult season just because a difficult season showed up. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling with the founding ideology that God loves me, wants to bless me, wants to save my children, does not want me sick, does not want me impoverished, does not want me looking for a job for the rest of my life, but rather He wants me to have life and have it more abundant, which was paid for by the blood of Jesus. These are the principles that we hold dear to. The foundational ideas. The Bible continues to say we wrestle against uh, powers. If you look at it in its original text, it's more like the power of choice. The fact is that God gave each one of you and me the ability to choose what we do or don't do. So we're wrestling all the time with what are we going to do or what are we not going to do. We're wrestling constantly with should I do this or should I not do this? Should I go to this school? Should I go to that school? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I buy this house? Should I sell this house? Should I rent this apartment? Constantly these choices are there and you're not called to wrestle with flesh and blood. You're called to wrestle with the power to choose. You've got to decide before you get there what you're going to do. Now, I understand some of that may be difficult, but here's how you do it. You say, I don't care what opportunity comes my way. If it's not the will of God, I'm not going to do it. I don't care how incredible it sounds on paper. If it's not the will of God and I can't get peace in my spirit, then I'm not going to do it. Did you know Adam and Eve, they were put in the garden. God told Adam, take care of everything, take dominion over everything. But here's the thing. You got the ability to choose whether or not you're going to obey what I'm asking you to do, which is not eat this tree. And he blew the whole thing because he ate of the tree that he shouldn't have eaten from. It's the power of choice that we wrestle with. If the minute God saved you, He made you into a robot that could never do wrong again, would you even really be serving Him? If the minute He saved you, if He removed your ability to choose wrong over right, would you even be a Christian? Or would you just be? Rulers of darkness. Now here's the deal. It's October. You can't walk into Kroger without seeing the Grim Reaper blow up doll uh, at, the, at the thing. And, and can I just say for the record, I personally don't like Halloween at all. That's just me. I don't care if anybody does like it, but I don't understand. You spend 365 days out of the year telling your children, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But today, we want to scare you. Baloney. I don't want my kids scared. May have been the present. But you walk into Kroger, there's a Grim Reaper doll, and I don't care if you like Halloween, that's your business. I personally don't like Halloween. But there's this idea of fear, and the fear ideology comes from the demonic realm. It comes from a place called the devil, who the Bible says was flung as lightning from the sky from heaven whenever he went against all of heaven, when he went against the kingdom of God, when he went against the things of God. What he wanted to do, the Bible says, that he wanted to ascend to the side of the north and sit by the right hand of the Father, which happens to be Jesus' chair. So whenever he got serious about sitting in Jesus' chair, God said, you can't stay here anymore. you got to go. Flung him as lightning from the sky. Like lightning from the sky. He landed on earth, and he is the ruler of this realm. He is the prince of the power of the air. And constantly, forever and always, he is attacking you and your family. Here's the good news. He's already been defeated. He's already a conquered foe. You have the victory in Christ. You have the victory in God. But at the same time, you have to understand that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you do wrestle against the demonic. 
demonic will try to do anything and everything to get to you. Number one, he will try to make you doubt. He will try to make unbelief take root in your home. He'll try to put a contrite spirit in your home, a contrary spirit in your home. He'll try to put uh, different ideas in your home. He'll try to weaken your foundations with your children by trying to convince them that they were somehow formed out of some mud guppy that crawled out of a swamp a billion years ago and poof, now there's a human being. He'll try anything he can to get you off track just a little bit. So you have to recognize that in your home, in your house, you are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but you are wrestling against demonic power. I'm sorry if this is the first time you've heard the word demonic power said more than five times in a church service, but I have to answer to God when I get to heaven, and I don't want him to say, why didn't you tell the people the truth? The situation is very simple in your life. You have the authority, but you have to understand what you're wrestling. Spiritual wickedness, evil purposes. Uh, This is not necessarily one person or one entity. This is more of an ideology. Spiritual wickedness. Here's an example. Uh, A baby is not a baby until a baby is 20 weeks pregnant. That's a lie. A friend of mine lost a baby at 17. uh, His wife and her lost a baby at 17 weeks. We had a funeral for the baby. I did not hold the baby, but I saw pictures of the baby. And if that is not a baby, then I'm not a human. Spiritual wickedness. Let me tell you where the spirit of abortion comes from. It comes from the devil. It comes from the enemy of God. And here's where we've seen it time and time again. Do you remember when Jesus was born? Do you remember what they said in Bethlehem? Do you remember what the king tried to do? He said, let's do this. Let's kill every baby so we can get Jesus. That's called abortion. Here's another example. Whenever Moses was born, do you remember what the Egyptians said? There's too many boy uh, Israelites raising up. So let's do this. Let's have them kill every one of the boys that's born, uh, all the Israelite boys boys that's born, so that they won't overtake Egypt. That's called abortion. It's not new. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So it's the exact same thing. It's spiritual wickedness. You can't go grab somebody and say, you're abortion. You can't go grab one group of people and say, you're the only group that supports abortion. No, it's spiritual wickedness. And it's our responsibility, nay, it's our opportunity to inform our offspring, our friends, our neighbors, and those people that we love the truth about what these things are. Here's one more example. Uh, The Bible says that you will have one man marry one woman, and this is called marriage. But in 2014... It's getting so crazy that somebody might try to marry a tree pretty soon and then they'll try to justify it by saying, well, I just want the tree to have health benefits. Nonsense. This is spiritual wickedness and it's our responsibility to make sure we know the truth. Somebody say amen. Verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. This is the second time we see him say the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand in the evil day Having done all to do, stand. Here we go again. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Number one, the belt of truth. Have your loins girt about with truth. Listen to me. Truth is what holds it all together. 
Truth is what ties the whole thing in a knot and says everything else may be unsecured and unfettered, but the truth is what holds everything near and dear to me. That's why Christians, we believe that there really was a man named Noah who really did build a boat, who really did put a bunch of animals in it, and God really did flood the earth, and he rescued Noah's family and the animals, and all of you and me can date our lineage back to Noah and his family because he did that because it is true. So we girt that about our loins, and I don't care how many people come and say something adverse or contrary to that we believe the truth everything about your life is predicated on whether or not you'll believe the truth the bible says this it says it says for lack of knowledge my people perish if you don't know the truth guess what you'll be in bondage because the bible says you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free your life is held together by the strap of truth. Number two, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you remember Superman? He would go into the, the, the phone booth and he would rip his, his jacket off. And no, that wasn't me. I know what you're thinking. But anyway, he would rip his jacket off and he would have a big old S on his chest. And that was about where the breastplate would be, would be, be about where my necktie is. And the thing about him is, is you knew he was Superman because of what was on his chest. Well, when they were describing this, when the author was describing this, he was probably looking over to a Roman soldier and saying, look here, look here, here's the deal. He said, I want you to pay attention and I want you to know what the armor of God is. You see that Roman soldier over there? You see how his belt is holding his whole regalia together? That's like truth, man. You've got to have truth in your life that ties it all together. And you see his breastplate there that says he's a captain or says he's a centurion or says whatever he is. You've got to have a breastplate of righteousness so that when people walk into your life, there's something different about you and you are are identified by the hand of God and the hand of God is always and forever shown by righteousness. Let me tell you a brief story. I was 16 and, and, and we lived out, out in the country. We lived about five miles out of town on a farm to market road and then we lived about a mile on an old beat up road and, and if you came to my house, you, you, there was two options. You were either invited or you took a, a couple of really wrong turns. We had a 150 pound dog that would lick you to death but she looked mean when she was doing it. So people would come to our house, and if they were in a pickup truck, she would, she would look in the window at them. If, she, if they were in a car, she would look down in the car at them. That's how big she was. So we had this house out there, and we had dogs, and, and we had uh, you know, a creek that ran through it, and four-wheelers, and golf cart, and, 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 and guns, and knives, and everything that a country kid would like, because I happened to be a country kid. So it was a lot of fun to live out there. And our house was the place to be. My friends would come and ask me. They'd say, hey, would you like to come over to my house? And I'd say, your house is boring. I'm going to my house. I said, why don't you all come to my house? They said, well, let's go to there. Let's go to this house. I said, no, 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 no. I said, let's go to my house, man. We'll burn a big fire. We'll go spotlighting. Uh, is anybody from the country in here? We go spotlighting. We do all kinds of stuff. Just, just, we, just, we just act up. I mean, it was just a good time, you know. We'd go and we'd find a pond that we, you know, on some land that we weren't supposed to be on and we'd go swimming on the spot. We, we B-Y-O-B-S. We brought our own bathing suit. God gave it to me when I was born. So we'd go swimming, man. It was a lot of fun, you know. And just, just life was good. And I remember I was 16 and my friends, probably my best friends at the time, one was named Clint, one was named Kevin. And they came out and uh, uh, they, they were at the house and, we were all just goofing off and hanging out and doing whatever 16-year-old country kids do. And it uh, got to be about 10, 11 o'clock, and so they probably had to go to their house. Their mom had told them what time to be home. And they left, and when you got to the end of our little dirt road, there was a farm-to-market road. And on that farm-to-market road, uh, there was a blind curve 
that you had to kind of turn out of to get to get on the road. And when they were leaving, unfortunately, this is very tragic, uh, there was a man that was extremely drunk, and he was driving a motorcycle over 150 miles an hour. And he swerved into their lane, and, and, and the guy on the motorcycle didn't make it. It's a terrible, terrible situation. So in those kind of situations, a lot of things that happens are, you know, people want answers, and, you know, the, the family was in mourning, of course, and but, but they began to throw lawsuits around, and they began to, you know, accuse uh, my friend of, of, of different things, and they were trying to find a leg to stand on that would make sense about, you know, why these kids were out at 11 o'clock at night and stuff. And, and, and then what happened was something very interesting. They were having some form of a, a meeting, the attorney uh, from, for my friend and the attorney for, for the, the family of the deceased, and then the, the, the judge was there. And what happened was is, is the, the, the attorney... For the, for the deceased was saying, there's no way that these boys weren't drunk if they were out at 11 o'clock midnight, uh, you know, on an old country road, and, and there's no way, and I'm telling you, we're going to get them. And, and all of a sudden, the judge says this. He says, oh, wait a minute. When I read through this, I understood that these boys left Larry and Candy Hallam's house. And Larry and Candy Hallam wouldn't have a drop of alcohol on their property. So if you think those boys were drinking at Larry and Candy Hallam's house, you got no leg to stand on and you better change your argument because my parents were known for righteousness. Now, I don't care if you drink one bit, but a 16-year-old young man has no business drinking, period. My dad didn't make any bones about it. He, sometimes he'd tell them, sometimes he wouldn't. But if you came to my house uh, uh, any time, my dad was going to say, oh, come on in, eat all the hamburgers you want, go out there, all the boys by the fire. And then my dad would turn into like undercover SWAT. And he would start searching in pickup trucks. And he'd look under the seat in pickup trucks. And he'd look in the, the cooler, if they had a cooler in the back. He'd go into the the the... the uh, the glove box, and he'd open the ashtray, and if he found anything, number one, he would pour it out on the spot, and then he would go in immediately and say, guess who I'm calling? Your mama, and you're not leaving. Because at his house, this is how it went. He was known for righteousness. You put on the, the breastplate of righteousness so that your life exudes the things of God. So that your life screams the things of God. Again, don't hang up on whether or not uh, uh, drinking, not drinking. Again, I don't care. But what I am telling you is be known for godliness. The scripture continues on. And it says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Two words there. Peace and preparation. Number one, you've got to be prepared to walk in peace. You're going to go to Thanksgiving here in about a month, a little over a month, and you're going to walk in, and Cousin Ned is going to say something like this. Boy, you've put on weight. Cousin Ned's going to say something like this. This is the driest turkey I've ever had in my life. He's going to eat a lot of it too and then ask to take some with him. Cousin Ned's going to be the one that shows up late with nothing and leaves with everything. If you're not laughing, you're probably Cousin Ned in the story, just for the record. But the reality is simple. You have to be prepared for that situation before you get to that situation. 
You don't walk in peace on accident. You walk in peace on purpose. You don't walk in love on accident. You walk in love on purpose. Gentlemen, if you uh, work outside the house and you're coming home, can I just tell you something that, that really helped me years ago? This is just a practical idea. If you're not ready to be kind when you walk in the door, drive around the block again. You got to walk in peace on purpose. You've got to decide if it doesn't go my way, I'm still going to walk in peace. If it does go my way, I'm still going to walk in peace. Above all, everybody say above all. Come on, you sound good. One more. Above all. That's what I'm talking about. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Remember now when he's talking, he's probably doing like Jesus used to do with a mustard seed. He'd go, okay, guys, I'm trying to explain faith to you. Here's a mustard seed. If you have enough faith like this mustard seed, then and only then can you speak to this mountain and tell it to be removed and tell it to be cast in the sea. And it so, and it so shall be. So he was sitting there. He was looking at a soldier and he was probably defining it to him. And he says, above everything else now, you've got to take up the shield of faith because without the shield you a soldier is completely and totally exposed to the adversary so he says take up the shield of faith wherewith you'll be able to quench the flaming arrows or the fiery darts of the wicked of the enemy so what the Roman soldiers would do is typically they had either a metal or wooden shield that had a, a leather piece on the outside of it and what they would do before battle is they would take that sword, that shield, and they would dip it and soak it in water, and then they would go to war. They would go to battle with their shield, their leather shield, soaked in water so that when an arrow hit their shield, it would literally just be put out and become of no effect at all. You and me have to take up the shield of faith. It's impossible to please God without faith, but you've got to understand that your faith has to be bathed in the water of the Word of God. Be effective. A parachuter, a parachute jumper, has faith in their parachute. A fisherman, when he throws a line, has faith that a fish will bite it. Faith is evidence in something you can't see. But faith can be pointed in any direction whatsoever. If you spend your time muddling, muttering, and grumbling about what could happen, guess where your faith is pointed? But if you spend your time focused not on what is happening, but what God's going to do. Now you're carrying a shield of faith that is soaked with the water of the Word. There's nothing like faith. Faith can withstand any attack because it simply says, I understand what's happening now is not the best situation, but I also understand the God of heaven and earth has not fallen off His throne, and He who began a great work in me will complete it. 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation, I used to have a dirt bike, and I used to ride that dirt bike like, like a man on fire. You know, I, was, I, I, was, I thought I was really good at it. And, and, and I would ride that thing, and I'd ride a wheelie, wang, 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 wang. The problem was it had a, some of you guys are going to understand this. You ladies just uh, go to sleep for a minute. But the, it had, a, uh, it had a, a hole in the boot that the carburetor went in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say, okay, just a one person, great. So uh, it had a hole in the boot of the carburetor. So every now and then you'd have that thing wrapped up. Wang, 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 wang. And it would just suck air. Boom. And when they suck air, that means they just take off screaming. Wah! 
and you could turn the key off, you could turn the ignition off, and man, it didn't matter. It was gone. So before I understood what was happening, I was just convinced the devil was attacking me and my motorcycle was possessed. But we found out it had a hole in it. So I'd be riding that thing sometimes. I mean, why I'd be riding a wheelie, you know, probably like four or five miles because I was that good. For like four or five feet, you know, with my mom holding me. Okay, Brian, you can do it. And that thing would take off. Wow. Boom, man. It'd crash. And I was like, whew. I should have put a helmet on. So then I'd ride, I'd wear my helmet for about a week. But the helmet of salvation is something you don't take off. And it's necessary, just like a motorcycle helmet, for when you fall, not for when you don't. You see, so many times Christians, when something bad happens to them, they begin to question God. They begin to question their position with God. They begin to, they begin to question their, 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 their placement with God. But the Bible says the righteous may fall a thousand times, but they get back up. You and me are called to wear the helmet of salvation with the knowledge that we can get back up. Lastly, he says this, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One more brief story, then we'll be done. Eleazar is in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel. He's one of David's mighty men. He's actually one of the three that David really spoke about very highly. These guys were the baddest of the bad. They were like, if you took a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, and a sniper and shoved them into one person, that would be like David's might. That'd be like one of David's mighty men. One guy, the Bible says he took a spear and he killed 800 people by himself with the spear. Eleazar was very different. He was very unique. He, he constantly uh, was, was always for David and, and he was just an overwhelming warrior. But he came from a family and his daddy's name was Dodo. Which means even if your parents are Dodos, God can still use you. Eleazar was very interesting. And one of the stories that's given uh, whenever it's talking about uh, his exploits, he, he literally one time fought so long and so hard, he was swinging a sword. He fought so long and so hard, the King James says it like this, that his sword clave to his hand. In, in our translation today, we would say it like this. He couldn't even put his sword down after. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when you fight, and fight you will, and when the adversary comes in like a flood, and he will, when you fight, when you swing the sword of the Spirit, when you swing the Word of God, do it to the point that you can't let go. In your life, in my life, we're all good while we're blessed. We're all good while everything's great. We're all good while the bank account's full and the, the fence is painted and the chickens are laying eggs and life's just as good as it can be. Then you get a bad report. And some Christians, nobody at New Heights Church, thank God, some Christians, that's when they go introvert. I shouldn't be here again. 
I shouldn't have to go through this again. I shouldn't have to stomach this again. I shouldn't have to fight the same battle again. The minute you quit deciding what you should and shouldn't have to do is the minute you get to let the Word of God work in your life. Take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of the living God. And be willing to swing it till you can't let it go. Mike Tyson said this. He's not in the Bible. But he said this. Y'all remember Mike Tyson, Iron Mike? He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Every Christian is good. We speak the language. We talk the language. We've got the right ideas. We God bless you when we're supposed to. We amen when we're supposed to. We sing the right songs. We know the right verse. We know the wrong verse. We don't listen to this. We do listen to this. We go here. We don't go there. We believe this. You know, blah, blah. Every direction. We've got it figured out. And then, bam. Now what? Ephesians 6 says that we ought to put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth. Don't let truth be a side item in your life. Put the breastplate of righteousness on. I don't care if it's popular. Live upright before God. Make decisions based off of righteousness. Change your circumstances by changing your actions. A minor adjustment in your life can have an overwhelming impact. Some of you, it would be a victory if you weren't ugly to your wife for one day. Some of you, it would be a victory if you didn't gossip for one day at work. Breastplate of righteousness. Not haughty. Not self-centered but upright before God. The shield of faith. So that when the enemy does throw those flaming arrows at you, they're of no effect. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, when you tie your shoes, you've got to tie them before you can run in them. With the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wherever you walk, ready to walk in peace. Now here's the deal. Picture the soldier, if you will. This looks like a soldier, kind of. Looks like it's missing some strings. Soldier. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Belt of truth. Shoes prepared with the gospel of peace. Sword of the Spirit. Willing to swing it until you can't let it go. You want to be mighty in the kingdom? That's how he was called mighty. But here's the situation. you got a soldier here. And when you get all dressed and ready for battle like the Aggies did yesterday, put on their helmet, put on their pads, they come to the, the tunnel. Da-da, 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 da-da. Ready to fight. And the coach says, okay, boys, let's go. And then they start clapping. 
And then they line up for the kickoff, and they kick it. Boom, the cannon goes off. Those guys, by this point, they've lost their mind, ready to go get that ball. But our Bible says nothing about getting the ball. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand. And having done all to do, stand. Sometimes you don't know the answer. Sometimes you don't know what you should do. But you know you can stand. Here's how it all comes together. Bank of America not too long ago over at University in Texas got robbed. If you were driving over to Bank of America at University in Texas and, and, and there was a robbery in place and you saw somebody with a, with a, with a mask on and a, and a Uzi and they were running into Bank of America to rob it, here's the deal. You don't have any obligation to go and, and, and try, to, try to intervene and, and save the bank's money even though some of you guys are probably like Wild Earp, you probably would walk in there and do that. But you don't have any obligation. But what you can do and what you should do is pick up your phone and dial 911 and say, yes, this is Brian Hallam. I see a bank robbery in progress. Thank you, officer. Have a nice day. And the dispatch on the other line says, we're sending somebody immediately. You see, you and me, we are not citizens of this world alone. We are citizens of a whole nother kingdom. We are ambassadors of a different place. We're ambassadors of a city called heaven. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And legally, because of who you are in Him, in the moment when all of hell is broken loose in your life, God doesn't say, storm the gates. God says, stand. Because in that moment, you have the opportunity, nay, you have the privilege to call on heaven in the name that's above every name that can be named, the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do, heaven stands to attention and hell begins to tremble because a citizen of a different kingdom has called 911 in the Spirit. There's nothing about your life that's good that you won't have to fight for to get or fight for to keep. But in God, when you put the armor on, when you get yourself girded with all the weapons of warfare necessary, He doesn't say, charge. That's His job. He says, stand and see the glory of God. I don't know what your battle is. But He does. I don't know what your situation is. But He does. I don't know, I don't know everything you're going through. But He does. And He's asking us time and time again. Not only to put your full armor on. But when the battle is raging, when the war seems like it'll never end and it seems like it's come about for the third, fourth, fifth, or who knows how many times. 
He simply says, stand. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus.